Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Sidhu, and it is hot girl summer. <laughs> yes, you know, I'm still in Brooklyn, folks. I'm still in Brooklyn having a great time, and I'm excited to be speaking with my guest this week, who is in the same time zone in a whole other country. How exciting is that? Isn't that fascinating how we've adapted these time zones to travel with the sun? across the sky and all that business. Existence is just magnificent. Let's just give it up for existence today. So let's get started. Let me get into the bio and then we'll have a great conversation. My guest is an intentional, passionate, and creative leader who enables organizational founders and their teams to achieve operational sustainability and social vibrancy by building results-driven cultures of connection. With a background in communications and humanitarian pursuits with organizations leading in innovative technology and social change, her experience spans education, digital health, and leadership development across government, nonprofit, and social enterprise sectors. She's an empathetic systems builder, which means she seamlessly flows between cultivating authentic relationships with people to draw on their strengths and creating strategic processes that allow teams to collaborate and achieve success together. Hawa Kambian, welcome to the podcast. Yo, Florence, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. So let's get started. <laughs> let's jump right in. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Yeah. So I am Ghanaian and also Canadian, which is why we have the pleasure of being on the same time zone on this beautiful day. I'm local primarily in Ghana in the underrepresented northern part of the country. My craft is leadership integration for the future of work. Mm, I like that. That's a great (laughs) way to put it. Wonderful. Thank you. So let's take a step back and get a little bit deeper into where your Ghana is, where your local in Ghana is, and then where you are local currently. Yeah. So my local in Ghana really happens to be where my family is based. So both of my parents happen to be Northerners. So when I made the decision to situate myself back on the continent, back in Ghana, it was really important to me to be in a space connected to where my family grew up and where a lot of my family lives now. And coming back in as someone from the development and humanitarian space, the northern part of the country where there tends to be more poverty, more of a focus on agriculture, that is usually where more development type activities tend to happen. So I really want it to be embedded in those spaces versus kind of sitting in a more disconnected, centralized role. Mm -hmm. So where in the north? Tamale actually. Tamale. Okay. Yeah. That is development central in the North. Yeah. Yeah, That is the capital. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Nice. I've been to Tamale once. I, I really enjoyed it. And I believe even since I was there, the city has grown tremendously. Oh, Tamale is a chameleon of sorts. Like that city is constantly changing. I think even in the last couple of weeks here, they just opened their international airport. So <gasps> that's right. There are always new things happening <laughs> in that little corner of, of the world in that part of, of Ghana. So it's, it's an exciting place to be and a really good place to be, bring things back to basics 
as well as kind of cement the technology and innovation of the future and kind of see it happen and grow its wings and fly in that kind of environment. So, right. I can imagine. So when you say your Tamale, is it the urban Tamale or is it kind of a little bit more outskirty? Oh, I'm outskirty for sure. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Outskirty Tamale all the way. Tamale town is, it's beautiful. It's bumping and it's vibrant, but honestly, my, my love and my peace and my grounding with Tamale comes from living on the outskirts and really just getting an opportunity to experience Africa as someone who did not grow up in Ghana, who did not have the pleasure of growing up on the continent. I really appreciate being able to come back to a space that isn't necessarily like the capital city narrative, right? So I have love for Accra. Accra's a great time. It's a great place to hang out. A lot of cultural buzz at the same time for me personally at the stage in my life when I moved back to Ghana, Mm -hmm. I really found it as a place to find my peace, find my focus, be able to listen to my inner voice and really connect with my own sense of personal leadership, professional leadership. And it's really just helped create that ripple effect of what my life and my passion and my purpose has really turned into at the present moment. Nice. I, that sounds like the Tamale I need to visit. <laughs> <laughs> Come through. Come through. Beautiful, quiet, serene. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And I, what I love about Tamale, because even though there's, you know, town is sprawling, but because it's agricultural, right? Because it's, you know, flat lands, flat plains, there is a lot of like opportunity to see the land and to see, you know, not far from town, to see the vastness of our country, because, you know, that is where our breadbasket is, you know, in the North. And so as you, as you mentioned, like being there, that's, it's really the heartbeat and it hasn't had the attention that I think enough leadership has to really use that and leverage that as an engine, a real economic engine for the country. Mm -hmm. I think you just said that very beautifully. And I think a lot of people (laughs) from Tamale listening would be nodding furiously in agreement with that. So, Well, let's hear it for your work that creates the leaders that will do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Here's hoping. Yes, exactly. Okay. So now local in Canada, that's where you grew up. Yeah. I grew up actually across Canada and the Middle East. So, okay. Yeah, it's been quite adventurous and mobile. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I, I, I do have to say that, like, we are in the same time zone, but Canada's vast. So you could very well have been on the West Coast. And I did grow up in the West Coast, actually. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would actually say that I started my career in the social impact space in Montreal, where I am right now. So, that place is very close to my heart and I still have some incredible friendships and people that, you know, continue to keep me connected to this space, which is why it's always a pleasure and a blessing to be able to come back here. Yeah. And I love Montreal too. Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. Always a good time. <laughs> okay. All right. So we got your, we got your local, we got your from. And so just one last question about Tamale and your your family background. So what is your tribe or your village? Yeah. So my family is not from Tamale proper. My parents grew up in the Gambaga area of the country. And then, you know, family is from around the Bunkurugu area. So Tamale just becomes a nice central hub 
for many of us who are from the North. And thankfully, a lot of my relatives, my parents, siblings have also come to settle in that area. So um, it's a nice little landing spot. So let's talk about how this young lady traveled or, or just, just growing up in Canada to Ghanaian parents and traveling the Middle East. Like, So how does that come into your inspiration for you know the Hawa that we see today? And tell us about who that Hawa is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this question. So honestly, I think the international element of my life and my upbringing has become such a powerful tool for empathy and communication and connection. And as I go and I grow day by day, those elements and those pillars become stronger and more cemented personally through myself, but also through the work I do, connecting with leaders, connecting with organizations, working in the social impact space. It's a unique thing to kind of grow up in a space where you are a minority living in Canada and like being born in Canada, and then to live in the Middle East where there's actually such a strong and large community and culture of expats. And then as an adult to be like, okay, I need to bring this back to my roots and my grounding by living, working, breathing, growing in Africa and in Ghana. So I feel like all of those shades and dimensions and flavors of myself have allowed me to show up in the world in a certain way, also be perceived by people in a certain way, and still have to explore and discover how to keep my sense of self intact, right? How to grow and learn and adapt and change and still say, okay, who is Hella? What does she care about? What is she trying to do? And how does she do that in a way that is authentic and in her integrity and allows her to keep, you know, one step at a time, making moves towards a vision and a collective vision, So, yeah, I think for me, that international element has really allowed me to really just have perspective, have perspective and not to think twice, because let me not say that I never make assumptions about people, but to think twice when I'm making an assumption about people, places and things, because I've seen enough to know that we all don't think the same way, you know, whether it's beliefs, religion, just like ways of life, ways of living and working and doing things. I've had the the grace and the opportunity to see that work and to see people do life and function in so many different ways that to ever sit down and have a conversation and assume that there's only one right way to do things. I know from the jump <laughs> that that's not really a conversation that really... <laughs> yeah, faulty thinking. Yeah, has legs to stand on, right? And it's a much more interesting conversation and there's a lot more growth to be had when we can bring curiosity into the conversation and wonder rather than a sense of judgment and isolation. So I think for me, my upbringing has really helped me to more consciously and sort of more easily think along those lines. And it's it's really helpful when it comes to kind of doing this work around leadership and thinking about social impact in a way that accounts for maybe the things that we're not seeing, the things that we're not talking about and feeling like maybe I have a little bit more autonomy (laughs) and cheekiness even (laughs) to address those things and ask those questions. 
from a place of wanting to learn, from a place of like being able to ask ourselves, does the current way work for us? Are there things we want to change? Are there things we want to keep? What does evolution and change and growth look like, especially in the African context, right? And especially as a as an African, as a Ghanaian who has been socialized in the West and then coming back and being in Africa or Ghana and seeing how easy it is for us all to want to fall into the narrative of, well, the West is our standard. The West must have it, right? Any like our quality standard is what is Western and being able to say, yes, a part of me grew up with that. A part of me learned a lot through that system. And at the same time, I've also been able to see where that doesn't necessarily serve what we're trying to build and how we're trying to grow as Africans and Ghanaians, right? So bringing in and asking some of those questions in a healthy way that helps ensure that we as Africans and Ghanaians are really moving towards growth and development on our terms and not necessarily based on someone's definition of what success has to look like. Right, right, right. So I want to unpack that a little. But before I dig right into that concept, I want to ask my why the where question. So you, you're talking about, you know, being able to go back and find yourself in these other places. So how did you come to be living, working and playing where you currently are? How was that process? How, how have you kind of really shaped that life? Yeah, this is a great question. So I was born in Canada, which meant that by that point, my both of my parents had left Ghana and were <laughs> the, the, the two individuals from both of their families who made such a great leap and gone so far away. So I grew up with a lot of my context and my learning and my roots being outside of the continent. So yes, absolutely having the opportunity to go home and visit people, but spending a couple weeks here and there is very different from a lifetime socialized outside. So by the time I had kind of <laughs> gone through the, you know, the school of hard knocks <laughs> of you know, going through <laughs> high school and all of that and finishing university after my undergrad, which was in communications and public relations and, you know, all of this kind of stakeholder management type of um, discipline, which is very core to who I am. After doing that, I kind of looked at my parents and I said, I think I need to spend three months in Ghana. And they were like, absolutely, 100%, let's make that happen. And that three months turned into six months, turned into nine months, turned into 12 months. And while I was home, thankfully, one of my dearest, dearest relatives and aunties who in Tamale runs an NGO called Youth Alive, which is focused on supporting street children. She was like, come in, like, I'm going to take you under my wing. Like, I'm going to show you the ropes, like get involved. We're going to go on site visits across Tamale, across the upper east region in Navrongo um, and Balga. We're going to go to the upper west in Wa. We're going to go and really get into communities and understand what's going on. And that experience just cracked me wide open. Yeah, I can imagine. After that experience, I was just like, great. I need to now strategize how to get myself into a permanent state of being back in Ghana, being back in Africa to do this kind of work. And so from there, I was like, great, I would love to get some added professional experience under, under my legs, get my sea legs, as they say. And so I was like, great, let me go back to Canada 
get some experience that I believe I can leverage when I look towards working internationally. And that's actually what brought me to Montreal. Mm, okay. Yeah, you did say you grew up in the West. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very beautiful and serendipitous coming together where I had the opportunity to live and work in Montreal while working for the Canadian federal government in health research funding. So I got to sit on McGill campus every day and sit next to these brilliant researchers who were doing the work day in and day out at McGill at a national level, thinking about how to invest in health research in Canada for the social benefit of all Canadians. And so that was a really great place to start really getting engaged in the social impact space. And again, like it was just blessing upon blessing because the team that I worked with was focused on digital health, which I didn't really know too much about before I jumped in, but my father has a background in neuroscience and pharmacology. So like health and medicine had always been a part of my world. And now I was jumping into this with a team that was very focused on tech innovations and using tech solutions to improve healthcare delivery in Canada. And then I was also sitting on McGill campus where there's a very strong community of the Médecins Sans Frontières um, humanitarian workers. So that's the Doctors Without Borders humanitarian workers. And so I became great friends with a lot of those emergency doctors who are leading that work. And so they would talk to me more and more about being in the field as a humanitarian doing development work. And I was like, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> There's something here. And so, yeah, th like those three years in Montreal were core, core to being able to figure out what the next thing was for me. And so at that stage, I said, great, I'm going to leave what has now become my comfort zone. And I was super comfortable. It was a, it was a great, great life and such great experiences. But I was like, I'm going to leave this comfort zone and go get my master's in Europe so that I can position myself to come back to the continent as a leader to participate and engage in development work. Because the thing at that time too, was that if, at least for Ghana, for some of the opportunities I was looking at, if you hadn't been living in Ghana for a period of time and you weren't embedded in the community, people wanted to see that you had a master's degree. Right. Right. So I was kind of like, okay, I'm willing to go down that road if that's what it takes to kind of get that expertise and that next level of knowledge to be able to come back and really make sure that I'm contributing and that I'm not just kind of <laughs> blowing hot air. Winging it. Yeah, and winging it, right, in this environment. So I then went to, I was across like the Netherlands and Ireland and New York for my master's actually, which was again, a lot of travel, great experiences, met a lot of people. It sounds like you did a really interesting program because I, you know, just looking at your profile, it included Fordham, Edinburgh, and what was the last one in the Netherlands? So I was in the Netherlands, I was in Dublin, I was at Fordham in New York, and then for my final internship, I was in Sierra Leone. Right. Okay. So that, that seems like a very well-crafted program that you attended. And so what was the base university or, or are all of them involved in the master's, the, the degree accreditation? Yeah. So my base university was in the Netherlands, in uh, Groningen. However, the program was structured such that there were several schools all across Europe and 
all of us as students had an opportunity to pick our first school and our second school. And before the program started, we all of us met in Poland for like an intensive week. And it was just fantastic because you had an opportunity to meet people that you would you might never see again, but people that you would likely cross paths with later. And just to start building this community of like-minded people who are invested in improving the humanitarian and development sector. So it was incredible. Okay. So, so then you got this degree. Yeah. And then you said, okay, I'm ready. I'll all in. Is that how you ended up back in Ghana? Yeah. So again, just a series of (laughs) fortunate events. So I had this incredible internship opportunity with a organization called eHealth Africa, which was this perfect meshing of my background in digital health with this newfound love and interest in the development and humanitarian sector. Uh, so I did my mandatory internship in this degree program with eHealth Africa. And by the end of it, the founders and the team were like, what if you just stayed? And I was like, what if I just stayed? So that became like a very beautiful connector. That's the dream. Yeah. Into work, like getting my, my boots on the ground and working on the continent. And so I was in Sierra Leone for about a year, a really wonderful year. And by the end of that year, I was sitting down and checking back in with myself. And I was like, okay, Sierra Leone has been great. I'm learning a lot in this role. And the goal had always been to be in Ghana (laughs) and I wasn't in Ghana. And if you look at a map of West Africa, Sierra Leone is kind of on like the further Western bit of West Africa. And eHealth Africa's HQ was in Nigeria, which is a little bit on the Eastern part of West Africa. And Ghana is smack in the middle. And So a lot of our work, I was oscillating between Sierra Leone and Nigeria, Sierra Leone and Nigeria. And I was like, I work for a digital health organization. We do everything in the cloud. We were using Google Suite far before it became very, very mainstream. We were doing virtual calls all the time because we had teams all across West Africa and a team in Germany. And so I was like, what if I just pitched working from Ghana remotely and traveling as needed? And thankfully, my founders at the time, who I was working closely with at that stage, were like, you know what? We're open to this. Let's give it a shot and see how it goes. So I moved back to Ghana in 2018, working remotely with this organization, got promoted working remotely, got comfortable working remotely pre-pandemic. So again, it just created this beautiful, you know, not knowing what was to come in 2020, I was basically setting myself up and cementing myself to be a lot more comfortable with the changes that ended up coming during the pandemic. And it also allowed me to have the freedom to choose where I wanted to be. And I chose to be in Tamale of all places. So not a crowd at Tamale. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So speaking of all this travel and, and seeing the many places that you've been, it reminds me to ask you about your global speak. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase or saying that is a meaningful part of your a local experience and why or how you come to value it as global speak. Cool. So in Northern Ghana, many people, including a lot of people in my family, speak Hausa, which is originally from Nigeria. 
and from like a tribe that has its origins and roots in Nigeria. However, just because of all of the, you know, travel and trade and all of that. Trade, migration. Exactly. It's become a very useful regional language. And so something that I hear almost on the daily with my family is the phrase, Allah kemu gobe, which means... Allah kemu gobe. Yeah, Allah kemu gobe. Okay. Uh-huh. And it means God take us to tomorrow. And it's usually what we say to each other every every day before we're like kind of going to bed and going to our separate corners. And what I really love about this phrase is it's always a reminder to me to have gratitude for what exists in the present moment. You know, to have gratitude for the fact that I have this beautiful opportunity to be back in a space that is so connected to my family and my grandparents and all of my relatives that I'm in a season of life where I get to spend time with my older and wiser relatives, but also spend time with like my baby cousins and, you know, all of this young energy and young generation that's coming up. Right. And it's, it's always just a reminder to me that none of that is to be taken for granted and that the opportunity to wake up tomorrow and experience that really is a blessing. And so that's something to me that really keeps me connected to. And even as I sit in Canada right now, like nostalgic about home and being in that space. Okay. I like that. Ala Kamu Ngobe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, Hausa is in my work in Ghana, I work in language education. And it really is to me so surprising that how Hausa is not I guess I want to say acknowledge language throughout the country because it actually is that connector, as you mentioned, like the Sahel, for the most part, is a Hausa speaking band. So across West Africa, Hausa is actually the most widely spoken language. Exactly. And, yeah. So let's hear it for Hausa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I mean, it's it boils down to a lot of the things that the West brings down to us in terms of, you know, just kind of separating us from each other in, in many ways because of the religion, right? So because because the southern part of most of those countries is Christian, then there's this kind of break and not recognizing that there's value in both the language and the culture of, of that. So we'll see how it evolves. I love that you mentioned that, Florence, actually, because even in my family, and this is one thing I'm really grateful for in Ghana, especially when you kind of look across the rest of Africa, my family in particular it is such a mix and blend and melange of the religions. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Right? So in the same household, you'll have people that are like, okay, it's Sunday morning. I'm getting up and going to church in the middle of Ramadan with other family members who are like, great, like I'm in the middle of my fasting. And it is just such like a beautiful mix and mingle of, okay, great. We're celebrating Christmas right now. And in a matter of months, we're all going to celebrate Eid together and come together for that and recognize that and acknowledge it and celebrate with those who recognize and, you know, have kind of those dates as milestones in their calendar. And I just, I'm so grateful for that because growing up in the West, very Christian, growing up in the Middle East, very Middle Eastern, and then like very Islamic. And then being able to come into Ghana and be like, well, this is lovely. I kind of get to have all of these things. Both of what you know, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in harmony and in and with great respect 
for each other. So right. And that's lovely because I think the idea is that, oh no, it's not people don't, we don't get along. And it's so untrue, particularly in, in African homes, because as you say, there's so many families that have blends and they function fine. So, okay. So you have traveled and you've gone back to the, so you found yourself back in Tamale and you are in the, so when you found yourself back in Tamale, you're working in e-health. So how do you start to kind of focus a little bit more on the, your, what you studied, right? So bringing in the humanitarian social impacts, those, those in terms of more broader outside of just the health space. Yeah. So after spending some time and learning everything I felt I could learn at e-health Africa, one of the big things I started to notice, and maybe I'll backtrack a little bit because when I was doing humanitarian studies, I was like, yeah, great. I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to be like in the field, implementing, talking to people every day. And when I started working with eHealth Africa, they came in and they were like, actually, where we could really use your support is internally with our organizational management, with our leadership helping our founders. And I was like, okay, I guess that wasn't really what I expected to be doing, but sure, why not? I'm sure there's a lot I could learn. And so when I was at eHealth Africa, I was chief of staff. I was doing deep organizational management work. And then when I moved myself to Tamale and I was continuing to do that, there was really just this stark contrast between my professional life and my personal life. Because I was like, okay, so professionally, I'm working with these organizations that are well-funded, like well-funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, well-resourced, have all the support, are like have the space and capacity to think about leadership and organization. And then my personal reality is I'm sitting in a space like Tamale, where there's limited opportunities for people. You know, the, the conversation and the focus is not on some of these deep leadership pillars that actually create this bedrock and this foundation of stability. So just kind of like waking up every day and being like, okay, I'm feeling the pull of these two different realities that I have, that started to make me much more mindful and enamored around leadership and entrepreneurship in Africa and really just asking myself like, okay, great. Like the average entrepreneur or founder in Ghana and even Tamale, what tools and resources do they have around leadership, right? Like self-leadership of the individual founder, organizational leadership of the companies that they are leading. And then that leadership in the social sector and the impact side of it. And so at that point, I transitioned into working with the African Leadership Group. Mm, okay. Okay. So tell us about that group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that group, oh my goodness, the AL group is, uh, <laughs> they are quite visionary with their, their goal around expanding leadership opportunities across the continent. The founder, Fred Swanaker, is a Ghanaian. So huge shout out there who has basically just created this pipeline of leadership and development in Africa, starting from ALA, which is a high school program, ALU, which is a university, uh, which also has a, like a business school attached to it, all focused on leadership. And then the specific group that I came in to work with them on has been around this 
ALX, which is this tech accelerator for teaching digital skills to young Africans and is now also moving into this trajectory where we're also trying to help young Africans find meaningful and dignified work, leveraging the tech skills that we support them with and in a full circle moment, kind of supporting young Africans to have opportunities to work remotely, right? Given their their tech skills in either like software engineering or like Salesforce, things of that nature. So getting to work in this space at a continental level, at a global level, it's really just opened my eyes and provided me a lot more tools and context around leadership and entrepreneurship. So that's where I am now. And that has really helped me come into a place where I've been able to kind of leave the bird's nest and (laughs) kind of propel myself and spread my wings with this consulting company that I'm now at the helm of and really excited to get off the ground. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear about that as well. Thanks for joining us for part one of my conversation with Hawa Kambian. Please be sure to come back next week when we talk about Hawa's latest endeavor, which is her consulting company, as well as mindset and how she unwinds from the everyday rigors of being an entrepreneur. As always, you can catch us with new episodes at glocalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, tell a friend, write a review. It helps others find great content on the internet. So until next time, bye for now.